0: This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Strangers and Aliens, Episode 126, 1986, Comic Book's Greatest Year.
1: Welcome to the Strangers and Aliens Podcast. Strangers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Would boldly say, needs to be said. Could you be a stranger
1: or an alien? Or would you be a strange alien? The truth is out there. Oh. I am your father's best friend of oh. Superman. Wonder Woman. Heroes. villains. Captain versus Captain Kirk.
0: Do you think that there's room in sci-fi for God? The very first thing that God did so, is, so, was that He
1: created something, so we have a creative God. This is Strangers and Aliens podcast.
0: Ready? Ready. I'm ready to. Hey everybody, welcome to Strangers and Aliens. I'm Ben Avery, and I am one of three hosts who are normally here, but um there's only two hosts here today, and I'm,
1: I'm abnormally here. <laughs>
0: yes. That is true. It sounds like Steve. Um please introduce yourself.
1: I am Steve McDonald.
0: Indeed. And together we are here to talk with you about science fiction and fantasy and um, how it connects with our lives and our Christianity and our faith and all that kind of thing. And so today, this is a topic I've been wanting to talk about probably since we started podcasting.
1: Yeah. And
0: when I say started podcasting, I don't mean started podcasting with strangers and aliens. I mean before strangers and aliens.
1: Way before.
0: Like uh, like a like, year or two before.
1: <laughs> like back in like 1986 or something.
0: That's right when when uh, i was planning to podcast about this into my parents uh, tape deck <laughs> and you know it just i just never got around to it so
1: i had my own tape deck
0: now we could have waited we could have we waited could've. 2 years steve and done it on a you know anniversary
1: you yeah know, like a- but i think this will be like a good warm up to that anniversary
0: sure sure
1: get people like fired up about the the 20th year 20-year anniversary.
0: 20-year anniversary.
1: 30-year anniversary. (laughs) I
0: was going to say because we're not talking about 1996, which would be a very, very different discussion. Be a very different discussion.
1: A very short discussion.
0: So we're talking about 1986 in comic book history. Yes. And this is an important year for a number of reasons. And actually, these number of reasons that we're going to talk about – you know, I'm not going to just say it was an important year because of this, this, and this, because that would give away the entire discussion of the right the podcast. So, yeah. Steve, were you collecting comics in 1986?
1: Oh boy, was I collecting comics in 1986! See, 1985 was like the year, like things just started moving in comics for me. I mean, it was you know that Thor was was getting done with the the Surtur saga and. Uh, the New Mutants were were rocking, and and you know Bill Kevich on on the New Mutants, and um, you still had uh, uh, Chris Claremont on the X Men, um, you know doing all this this massive stuff, building up to uh, you know issue one ninety six, the hundredth anniversary of issue ninety six. Or ninety four, or whichever one it was, the the one with the new, uncanny, you know, all new, all different X Men, mm-hmm. and I think it was ninety four, right? So all building up to that, um, you know, you had all this stuff. It was coming out of the Secret Wars, so all these different little things were tweaked and changed, and you had Spider Man in the black suit, and you know, eighty five was just like that that year where everything was just like hitting on all cylinders, and then you have nineteen eighty six, and it was like launching into the atmosphere into the stratosphere with this uh with the stuff that was happening in 86
0: i believe what you would call 1986 in comics anyway Mm
1: -hmm. is
0: uh the word epoch Epoch. right yeah epoch yeah uh i'm trying to uh, that's how you say it right epoch it's e-p-o-c-h and it's like a moment in time where things just begin Right. It's the it's the beginning of an era.
1: It's a paradigm shift
0: of a new era. Yes. A new paradigm, a new way you measure things, a new way you do things.
1: Paradigm of an era of an epoch.
0: And so in 1986, this is the year everything changed in comics for good um, and for bad. Yeah. Now, there's some fluidity here because some of the things we're going to talk about actually started happening in 1985 some of the things we're going to talk about actually finished happening in 1987 or even beyond that. Mm -hmm. But, um, this is, uh, this is a, just a nice snapshot in time. And it's, it's, it's very cool that comic book history broke things down for us right here in 1986 so that we can actually have this conversation about just, um, where comics were and where comics were going. Right. So, um, Steve, here's one interesting thing that's kind of comic related, but not quite. But that happened in 1986, and that is that the final season of Super Friends, that's the, right. the the final um, iteration of what started in 1973 as mm-hmm. Super Friends, right? Um, that that final season ended in um, early 1986, and it was called the Superpowers Team Galactic Guardians they rebranded they'd done some different um things with action figures and, and mm-hmm. comic book branding and stuff like that right but um it was off tv and so this is the year that the super friends cartoon went off tv except for in reruns and in you know syndication packages were still around mm-hmm. but it's really off the map in a lot of ways they weren't making anything new now super friends was a big you know, commercial for toys or became a commercial for toys. It was commercial for the, the comic book adventures and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's interesting because a lot of things we're going to talk about. I I find this really interesting because this is where some of the kiddiness of comic books kind of goes away and, and we're kind of getting into something a little more, um, adult and a little more, um, mature. And then a lot of times the words grim and gritty, yeah. Are gonna probably be used by us, <laughs> but they definitely were used to describe <laughs> some of the things that were happening uh, on the Marvel end. You know what else happened in 1986 uh, as far as screen things go?
1: I believe uh, was it Howard the Duck? It
0: was Howard the <laughs> Duck <laughs> It screens in 1986. Wow! Um, you can find out all about Howard the Duck, by the way, if you you know have a couple, couple dollars to spend. Um, welcome to level seven did, uh, uh, Daniel and I did a feature length commentary about Howard the duck. Um, we did it as something that we're going to use to try and raise some funding. Um, we've actually raised, uh, almost enough to, to get a a new soundboard kind of thing for, uh, for podcasting. So strangers and aliens actually benefits from anyone who wants to. Go to welcome to com slash Howard and uh you know purchase the download for that feature length commentary of Howard the Duck. But he has his own page. Yes, he does. Classic. He deserves it. He yeah. had the first Marvel movie. The first big screen Marvel movie.
1: Yeah.
0: Unless sure you, you want to uh, <laughs> <laughs> unless you want to count Red Sonya or Conan.
1: That's right, yeah. Conan now, were was those actually a, Marvel movies?
0: No. No, not not particularly, but neither was How Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck was a Lucasfilm mm-hmm. movie. But um Conan was a Marvel comic when it went up on the big screen. Uh, and actually had um oh what was the guy's name? One of the writers for Conan for the comic book. Um, oh his name starts in R. Robert. No, he's one of the main guys who was writing the <laughs> Not Robert E. Howard, no. Oh, I can't remember his name now. Well, anyway, he was—he actually helped them develop uh, like Conan the Destroyer or something like that. Red Sonja, though, was an original character
1: mm-hmm.
0: created using a misspelling of a, a character that Robert E. Howard created. But sh- the character Robert E. Howard created didn't fit the timeline for Conan. Mm-hmm. And so they changed the spelling... And its original character, and so Red Sonia, the movie, could be, if you really wanted to get technical and about that, the first original Marvel character on the big screen. But she was still technically a part of the uh, the the what's the word I'm looking for?
1: The universe, multiverse, who knows? The
0: the, the license. That's the okay. I'm looking for. Yeah. So but we're talking about 1986. We are talking about 1986. So we just a little rabbit trail there. so (laughs) A little plug. (laughs) uh, What's interesting about 1986 for me is that I've read a lot of what we're about to talk about, but I didn't Mm. read it until maybe – well, honestly, until more than 10 years later.
1: Oh, I was reading this stuff live. I was like waiting 30 days for each one to come out.
0: (laughs) It was crazy. Here's something I was reading live and – These are cancellations that happened in 1986, and I found this really, really weird and a little bit interesting. But Star Wars, the comic, was canceled by Marvel in 1986, Mm -hmm. along with two other licensed books, Rom Space Knight and Micronauts, all canceled in 1986, along with (laughs) Defenders. Now, none of these are books that I read then. Except for mm-hmm. Star Wars. Star Wars, I still have that final issue. And I remember reading it and being a little depressed. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Not knowing so what was going on. So final. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I picked it up and I had bought, like, the last... No, the first five or six Star Wars comics after Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And then kind of... And then bought, like, one or two in between there, like, in in, in the, the years that followed. And then I bought this final issue and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm reading about. It's wrapping up this new original storyline that looks really cool. But, um, I bought it cause it was on the newsstand and it was last issue. It said right there. And I was like, I got to get this. So defenders, ramen, Micronauts. I did not read at the time, but I now own complete runs. and actually yeah. <laughs> enjoyed them, but I there's some cancellations Micronauts at the time. um,
1: there's the second series of Micronauts.
0: That's the that's the series that was canceled in that year. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the, these are all titles that died and never came back to Marvel. You know? Although Star Wars is coming back to Marvel now. Is it really? It is, yeah. yeah. Wow. They're going to start publishing Marvel Comics before the movie, but I can't remember exactly when. Dark Horse still has a little bit of, a, of time on their license. Mm-hmm but it's funny you should bring up dark horse steve Why?
1: why would it be funny that i bring up dark
0: horse well dark horse comics began in <gasps> 1986 Don't tell me. you're right yeah um dark horse comics so that's you know that's another it's a shifting thing there there was a bunch of companies that started then um dark horse comics is one that's still around a couple others that came out of that. Gladstone Comics, which published a lot of Disney comics for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and Malibu Comics came out of that. And what came out of Malibu Comics?
1: Malibu Comics. Malibu Comics. Oh, man, I should know this. Should. Malibu Comics. Grew the Wanderer.
0: Kind of. I don't know. Didn't Marvel publish Grew?
1: Well an, Initially, it was... Grew the Wanderer has been published by many, 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 many publishers. (laughs) Okay. Well, (laughs) at one point, but.
0: um, Malibu Comics was the publisher for Image Comics. Uh, When Image Comics first formed, they didn't know what they were doing as far as printing comics. And Malibu published. And so Malibu published it for them for a couple years, maybe a year and a half, two, three years. Um, And then when Image left, Malibu had created a couple other imprints, like Ultraverse is a Malibu thing. Now, mm-hmm. we're into the 90s with all that. But without Malibu Comics, there was no Image Comics, or Image would have looked very different anyway. Got
1: it. Got it.
0: So, okay, we're reaching back into 1986. Dark Horse, which publishes a lot of licensed books now. they Back then, they were just getting started with, um, like, X... And I think wasn't X Mutants a Dark Horse comic?
1: Or is that uh, something else? X Mutants. Wow. You know, I should I, I should know this. I
0: shouldn't have even said that because I'm wrong, I think. I think
1: Boris um, the Bear
0: was well, one of the Concrete came out of that. That's Con- a well, favorite book of yeah. mine, although it doesn't get much uh it doesn't get talked about much, but Concrete actually had his first appearance in nineteen eighty six with Dark Horse's uh Dark Horse Comics Presents.
1: Yeah, I have that
0: first issue yeah and uh concrete is uh i think underrated but should be on a lot of people's reading list if you like um character driven comics concrete is about a guy who he's out camping and aliens come turn his body into concrete and so it's basically he's the thing only it's not adventure it's all existential crisis yeah and there are some adventure stories and he, there's one story arc where he just goes around the world, climbs Mount Everest because he can. Um, <laughs> but it's it's that kind of thing and I really, really enjoy that series. Really enjoy that series.
1: Yeah, I remember reading a bunch of them early on and really enjoying it. But it was at the time when I wanted more superhero-y type stuff. So I never followed up on it.
0: Yeah, see, I, I – uh, again, I'm in the 90s reading these things. Mm-hmm. Um you know, at the end of college and after college. So I'm reading them in 96, 97, 98, but I'm catching concrete around the time when I'm reading Sandman. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, I want more character driven. I want the, I want this thoughtful stuff. I want this thought provoking stuff. So concrete hit me at that perfect time. I found it at that time. Also the only comic, I shouldn't say the only comic. We're going to say another one here in a moment that my <laughs> wife will read. My oh. wife loved reading concrete. And I bought her an edition of a concrete graphic novel and wrote in the front. Someday I'll be signing a book for you like this and it'll be mine. (laughs) Um, Because Concrete, Sandman, those type of books, they were ones that really made me want to write comics. Even more so than the comics I read when I was a kid in, in a lot of ways. Wow. So 1986, without 1986, no Concrete, no Ben writing Armor Quest and Hedge Knight and Wow. And Job most recently at Ben Avery dot com. There you go, Job. Alright, had to get my plug in there, even though yeah. uh Dr. Again. Jace is not around to make fun of me for it. <laughs> so also
1: uh Godzilla.
0: What about came, Godzilla? Came
1: out a couple of years after they, they, they published Godzilla, Dark Horse Comics.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. I never read any of those. No? No. Hmm. No. The only Godzilla comics I've read were the Marvel ones where he's actually stomping across the United States in the Marvel universe. Being <laughs> and the tracked.
1: Shogun warriors are fighting him and everything. Yep,
0: yeah, and he's being tracked by a helicarrier with Dum uh, Dum Dugan. Yep. Or Duggan. Yep. I'm not sure how you're supposed to say that, but Duggan. Um Okay, so let's stick with uh let's let's head over into Marvel now. Yeah, you mentioned Secret Wars, Steve. What year, or around what year was was Secret Wars? It was eighty
1: four, right?
0: I don't know. That's 83? why I was asking you. <laughs> <So.
1: clears throat> I believe it started. Oh man. Um,
0: well, I'll look it up, and let's talk about. Um, well, first of all, let's talk about the significance of Secret Wars, and I am bringing it up because yeah, May nineteen eighty four is when it started. Twelve issue series. But it's a significant series um, because of just the way – it's a very different thing and hadn't happened – nothing like this had ever happened in comic books before as far as I understand.
1: Not really. There was a three-issue series called The Conquest – no, The Contest of Champions and basically it was the Grandmaster and – someone else and they took a whole bunch of heroes from all over the place they introduced a couple of new ones that didn't really pan out for the most part um, and put them into this big battle and it was three issues it was like all these cool heroes but I think it was um, you know the the art wasn't fantastic Uh, the story wasn't really broad Um, but you know at least you got all these heroes jammed in together and, you know, if you look at the cover of Con- Contest of Champions number one, um, it's just like, I don't even know, 50 heroes. And they're all like looking out as if they're about to, you know, face off against something that they don't know. And it was a really cool picture. But the concept, I think, was such that they they wanted to reproduce that on a larger scale. And I think Contest-, Contest of Champions, I think it was 82 uh, or 83, um, and it, it did well enough that they said, you know what, we're going to do this and call it a, a mini-series or a maxi-series and we're going to do 12 issues. And I'm pretty sure it was the first time uh, they had said, you know, we're going to do 12 issues beginning to end. Stop. That's it. One story. Bam. And um,
0: Well, but it wasn't just a standalone story. I mean it changed fundamentally the Marvel Universe in a lot of ways.
1: It did, but the interesting thing was you have S- Secret Wars number 1 come out. In, and at the what, same May, time... May 1984, yeah. May 1984. And then at the same time, you have the May 1984 X-Men come out. And Colossus is breaking up with Kitty Pride and you don't know why. And at the same time, you have uh, 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 Fantastic Four... The May 1984 came out and there's no thing and there's She-Hulk and you don't know why. You know, and uh, Spider-Man comes out and he's got a black costume and you don't know why. (laughs) And it all ties in to the Secret Wars. And so you are driven to follow this thing. And for 12 issues, they stretch out the little, you know, the, all all the explanations and stuff. So to a point where, you, you know, they, they did it so well that you didn't know why until that secret wars issue came out. And then it all made sense. And then you could go back and look at those issues again. And you're like, Oh man, you know, and all of a sudden things are happening. And all of a sudden you're looking at the secret wars a different way because it's playing out in two different times. You know, because those twelve issues are jammed into the the space in between those two months, April and May. Those twelve <laughs> issues take place then, but they pan out for the next twelve months. So it was just a fantastic uh, way to tie everything in. There wasn't crossovers like you had later on in Secret Wars and in uh, Secret Wars Two and uh, uh, Crisis and things like that. You didn't have the the the, the crossovers and the tie-ins. But everything like kicked off again. Everything was new. You had a Thing comic book instead of uh, Marvel 2 and 1. And you're like, why is the Thing on this alien planet? And, you know, it all made sense eventually. But it just, it was just fantastic how they did it. And at the time, reading through it, it was, they did it so well that when I later read, Watchmen, and which was going on about the same time, which was DC. Um,
0: well, we're going to get to Watchmen. Don't 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 spoil that yet.
1: Oh well, I had a different uh, uh, feeling about the Watchmen. I was going to make a big point there, but if you want to do Watchmen later, we I guess we can.
0: But anyway, Watchmen was nineteen eighty six. I know.
1: Tune in later for what I was about to say. <laughs> but no, they just did such a, a fantastic job holding everything back until it was revealed in in secret wars and
0: so that's 1984
1: the that secret wars was 1984
0: yeah now 2 years later we're we're in 1986 okay mm-hmm. and and marvel has you know they did secret wars it was a huge success yeah and so now they said how can we redo it and get that lightning in a bottle again and, of course, everything that's successful deserves a sequel, right? <laughs> and uh, so we get Secret Wars 2. Two. Now, Secret Wars 2, uh, we're going to have to look up the, the exact date. I can't remember if it started. I'm pretty sure it started in '85
1: In July 1985.
0: Okay. So it started in 1985. And so it was, Nine issues. It was finishing in 1986 um, alongside another event in... DC, which we'll get to in a moment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Secret Wars two is also a paradigm shift. Secret Wars was big, huge in scope, encompassed everything, but more or less it was its own thing, and it was running alongside all the other titles. Where the ch- like you were talking about those changes and everything like that, but you had to wait twelve issues a year to find out exactly what happened in mm-hmm. Secret Wars. Yeah. Secret Wars two, they decide, you know, let's do it bigger. Cause every sequel has to be bigger. And let's do it <laughs> stronger and faster. Yeah. Right? It's it's the bionic man of, of sequels here. <laughs> and so what they're doing then is it's not just a mini series. Every month, for nine months, they're going to do Another issue of Secret Wars 2 following the Beyonder, who is the Mm -hmm. character that actually was kind of the impetus – I'm saying it wrong. He's kind of the impetus for um, Secret Wars. And he's coming to Earth now. And it's going to be bigger and badder and crazier. And every month we're going to have three or four titles from our normal publishing round that Mm -hmm. are going to tie in directly So you read Secret Wars 2, Issue 1. And then you can pick up Captain America and find out what happened with the Beyonder there. Mm -hmm. And then you can pick up the Avengers and find out there. And then X-Men and Hulk. Now, I'm just pulling these out because these are titles, not because that's actually what was happening after Issue 1. And then you come back for Issue 2 of Secret Wars 2. And it's the same thing. Then they'd have like three, four, five titles, depending on the month. Mm -hmm. Um, that go along with that particular issue. Okay, so in theory, this sounds grand in scope and could be potentially earth-changing, earth-shattering even. And instead, it was kind of a mess. Now, I say this as someone who owns every issue of Secret Wars 2 and every tie-in issue.
1: And has a read Wars, every single too, one.
0: And sat down and read it in published order. Because I really wanted to see it and feel it and understand it. And it's, for me, a very different experience than it was and is for you, Steve. Because for me, sitting down in like the year 2000, 15 yeah. years later, yeah. I'm sitting down and reading through this and I'm getting a cross-section of Marvel from 1986, mm-hmm. and so I'm getting to read um, Power Man and Iron Fist, <laughs> and it's it's just one issue. There's certain things that have you know that they're talking about that happened earlier. They're setting up things that are going to happen later, and the Beyonder is in there, you know, yeah, just showing up and and uh, you know causing you know in some cases real big problems, and other cases just minor ones. Mm-hmm. I'm getting to read. ROM Space night, of course, I already own all of those, but I'm getting to read um x men I'm getting to read the um new mutants tie in there um I'm getting to see okay, well, what's the Hulk situation here in in nineteen eighty six
1: right
0: I'm reading it, and I'm getting a more or less single unified plot line thread um the final issues of the final issue of defenders was a Secret Wars 2 crossover tie-in. Dazzler had an issue in there. So for me, it's (laughs) awesome because it is 1986 Marvel in a bottle. But for you, Steve, as you were, uh, it was a different thing. Now tell me, what was the deal with Secret Wars 2 for you as a comic book reader in
1: 1986? Well, you know, you picked it up because it was the the first one was awesome. So you you had to pick up, you know, you didn't know what was going to happen. Um it was the same writer, uh, Jim Shooter, who at the time was the editor in chief um or maybe just the editor. I think Stan Lee still had some honorary title, but he was this driving force behind, you know, the whole chronology and the the whole system of everything fitting in and how crossovers happened he was like the mastermind for you know 10 or 15 years we should do a whole ep- uh, series uh, issue on him episode on him um but it was him writing it and you know you you had this this character which you didn't see in in secret wars because he was always behind the scenes or you know the a, a disembodied voice or whatever and he's he's you don't know what's going to happen, and then all of a sudden he's on Earth, and, and it looks like
0: David Hasselhoff yeah, or sort of, Michael Jackson.
1: It's sort of goofy because he's he's like taking on you know trappings of pop culture, and at first you're like, oh okay, uh, but then you have to get used to the way he looks, which is not anything you you know you really want to get used to he's not like you know this iconic looking character he just looks like a a pop culture mishmash and that's not the worst of it the story itself wasn't fantastic and it crossed over into all your favorite things so you know uh you get uh, uncanny x-men 196 and you say to yourself why is this in the way of my X-Men? How come I can't just pick up one ninety six and not have this be here? Because it was annoying. The character himself was trying to find out, you know, he's on a on a, on a quest, but it wasn't a quest that you really
0: cared about. <laughs> well, it was an existential quest. it was He was trying to find out what did it mean to be human?: Yeah, because he's basically an immortal. Uh, he, he's God almost. I mean, he right. he is omnipresent. Like um, not not omnipresent. He's he's omnipowerful though, and and uh, omnipotent. Yeah. yeah. He's just not omnipresent. He's just not everywhere. But he's a god. So he comes to Earth, makes him you know gives himself a Michael Jackson outfit, and um, he takes on Steve Rogers' uh, exact look for a little while with the blonde and and the muscles. But then he ends up deciding to look more like. Uh, David Hasselhoff. And-
1: yeah. But he just kept cropping up in your favorite in your favorite magazines. So now you have this throwaway one-off issue of your favorite magazine that you'll probably never read again because even if you did want to go back and read that one to get the full effect of it, you'd have to read all 9 issues of The Secret Wars 2. And then to really put into full context, you'd have to read all 40 other issues or whatever. And you were just sort of like, oh, man. And every month it was sort of like, which one is he going to ruin this time? <laughs> you know, which one don't I have to pick up? But of course, of course, you're a completist. You want to get these issues. And so, you you know, just to, to say you have all of them, you don't want to have a, 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 a run of comic books and have one in the middle that you don't have. That would be ridiculous.
0: But But the uh, the other thing is, though, um, in theory, this sounds like something that should work. Yeah. The the Beyonder is going around the Earth looking for what it means to be human and Mm -hmm. learning from the different heroes. You know, learning different things from each different hero. In theory, that actually has promise for a premise. (laughs) Um, In actual practice, well... Steve and I both had very different experiences with with it.
1: Because I was dragged through it. You know, there was nothing I could do. I I couldn't not pick up these issues. You know, what what else was I going to buy?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, because you were following New Mutants. Yeah. And you were following Thor or or whoever.
1: X-Men and Thor and uh, Alpha Flight and Fantastic Four and Cloak and Dagger and – you know micronauts and it, it was just like you read down the list and you're just like, I remember how he ruined that one. I remember how he ruined that one you know <laughs> it was just like
0: <sighs>
1: you couldn't get away from it and it was nine months and you were just like nine months of this
0: well and and ten, if you include um the the closing chapter in Avengers or whatever. Um, but the, the, the
1: Fantastic Four, yeah, they had they had. Uh, well, uh, no, that Secret was Wars three.
0: It was the epilogue. It was yeah. uh, the the Avengers had the epilogue, which included oh, did they? Um, oh Molecule Man doing something or other. But, yeah,
1: but the and and, and eventually it, uh, in one of the Fantastic Fours they had a Secret Wars three, um, where you find out who or what the Beyonder actually is.
0: So and they retconned it again. In the Illuminati, probably. You know, I didn't even follow that. that was. (laughs) Uh, I mean, we're talking decades later. Yeah, but. But anyway, yeah. So.
1: (laughs) So two different experiences.
0: Yeah, but again, you know, this is them trying to figure things out here. But this is the first time, also, where you have, um, you know, the kind of the modern crossover. Which right. is, you have the main book, Civil War, or World War Hulk, mm-hmm. or um, whatever it might be. And right. then you have the tie-in books that you have to buy, but you don't have to buy.
1: Yeah. You just, Wink. you know,
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and this was the first time they really, really pushed that. Right. So we're going to stay with uh, Marvel just for one more moment here with one more thing. And it does tie into the Secret Wars 2 thing and kind of what they learned from it. 1986 was also the first resurrection of Jean Grey. Now, she had died. Yeah. She had died as the Phoenix.
1: In issue 137 of the X-Men.
0: And she came back in an an issue of Avengers. Mm Mm-hmm. Fantastic which was- Four,
1: Avengers, and then X Factor One, the kickoff to X Factor right. One. Right. So had- well, the,
0: the, uh, I mean, in, in television terms, um, Avengers was like the, uh, unofficial pilot for X right. Factor. Yeah. And then you have X Factor number one, which is still 1986. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of reuniting the entire original lineup. Right. Of the X Men. Yeah. Those five main characters there. Yeah. Now, because of this, um, I'm happy because oh yeah, I love those five guys, and so this is one of um, my favorite uh, runs of of comic books. Is that mm-hmm. X Factor run where they are they're working as undercover? You know they're they are they are mutant hunters. That mm-hmm. is their um that is they're- that seems to be their identity. Right, but then it turns out they're actually mutants who are when they hunt a mutant down. Uh, they actually then will try and train the mutant and and, and help them be an X-Men or whatever. Right.
1: Yeah. I thought that was really cool because you had the mutant hysteria, which had been building and building. You know, Chris Claremont, because he was able to write two hundred issues of the X-Men in a row, he was able to like very slowly just seed different things into into the things in the background and you know they didn't they were coming in with with sort of like a a bad reputation but when Claremont got a hold of it he just just upped the ante slowly and slowly and slowly just nudging it up nudging it up nudging it up and you know um the graphic novel the x-men graphic novel
0: was x-men uh, the god loves man kills one
1: yeah god loves man kills and it was that was really good because it gave you a picture of what this uh this hysteria was was building into society you know people were were lynching mutants and things like that and all of a sudden you got this tie-in where okay uh people who are disenfranchised people who are uh seen as not human you know all this stuff uh that's all now being front loaded in or in the in in the past it had been back loaded in, but now you have this mutant hysteria where people are just you know my son could be a mutant, anyone could be a mutant. you see it in the the X men films. you see it a little bit there um, but you have X factor come in, and they're doing what society wants to have done but of course they're recruiting and they right. they're taking these in all of a sudden you have these new not the new mutants but you have new mutants that you know you've never seen before have, have you know you're seeing their history played out now and you know their first appearances and all that stuff and uh, and that was really cool plus you had the original x-men
0: plus mutants didn't trust x-factor because right. the X-Factor group or whatever, they were supposedly government stooges seeking down and hunting mutants. Mm-hmm. And so the other mutants who don't know their secret identity, yep. they don't trust them either. Right. Now, what happens is we have another crossover in the, at the end of 1986, and that is Mutant Massacre. Mm-hmm. And this is a big, giant crossover done well, in my opinion, and done right things happen and there's consequence secret wars two, by the way had very very little consequence for the marvel universe right very very little happened that actually mattered in the grand scheme of things Mm -hmm. um mutant massacre was a little more contained it had uncanny x-men it had x-factor it had new mutants it had power pack and had thor um thor had two issues in in this yep. mutant massacre. Yeah. I, and they're important, pivotal issues. I mean, mm-hmm. things are are happening in Thor to the mutants. It was very odd to me to, to see Thor in the lineup there. But Well, I think it was,
1: it was also because um, Walt Simonson was also doing um, – he was doing Thor and he was also doing – X Factor, or he was working his way into X Factor. I'm okay. not sure how that, where the crossover was. But, um, you know, it, it, it may have been like his, his testing out the waters to do X Factor, uh, the, art, the artwork for X Factor. But, um, you know, in retrospect, it doesn't seem that strange. But yeah, having Thor <laughs> in the middle of the Mutant Massacre was a kind of a trip. But it was cool because I was reading Thor at the same time. And all of a sudden you had Thor and the X-Men where before, you know, like when they were battling Surtur in the the New York City huge battle, you could see the X-Men in the background, you know, while Thor was doing his thing and fighting all the demons and stuff. But they never had this like true crossover in the Walt Simonson um, run until the mutant massacre. And then it was just front and center.
0: So it feels like they kind of learned their lesson a little bit there, scaling back and and actually – but then doing a story that makes sense and also has consequence. And so they – obviously, this is a slightly different thing. But it's, it's – this is a nice crossover here where you just have um, big things happening. Um, Archangel. This is where Archangel came from. Um, mm-hmm. Angel had his wings you – know, basically ruined and uh they later were amputated now apocalypse um i'm not sure where he came in 1986 but he's actually his first appearance is 1986 in x factor yeah um but that's that's marvel in 1986 so let's switch over to dc in 1986 and running concurrently with secret wars 2 is uh the big dc event Mm -hmm. which is crisis Crisis on, on infinite, infinite Earths. Earths. Crisis on Infinite Earths um, came... Let's see. It's like uh, April 85 is when it started. And then March mm-hmm. 86 is when it ended. This is significant for a number of reasons. But I do have a feeling that DC... In trying to figure out what to do about all their continuity... They, needed, they knew they needed to do something big... I have a feeling they looked at secret wars and said we could do something like that yeah as 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 part of our solution now mm-hmm. the big event is not the solution it's in itself it's what they did with the event, but um crisis on infinite earths another just ch- uh it changed it changed everything in a lot of ways
1: yeah, it was the reset button yeah you know, this, secret this- wars was phenomenal because you had these things happening within this universe that had all these repercussions and everything with the with crisis on infinite earths it was just a reset button you know 12 reset button
0: oh yeah this is where you restart everything Mm -hmm. and this was the end of the dc universe basically from what 1930 whatever yeah when um, Superman started, his chronology, his story, went from those first action comics to 1986 and stopped right there to be restarted. And I totally, totally understand why they did this. And I agree with them doing it.
1: The chronology
0: and and the canon and all of these things, it was just a big giant mess because when for the majority of the time they weren't saying, hey, this is one long story. And then toward the end, they were like, wait, there's so much stuff. We <laughs> have to just start over, start simple, and let people, you know, begin the journey again, so to speak.
1: Well, I in, in some ways, yes. But in some ways, you know, if you were reading the DC universe at the time, you understood it. It was fine, and most of the time, if it was something that was out of continuity or whatever, there was a little blurb at the beginning of you know the first page of the comic book saying, you know, this is a imaginary story, or this is you know this happens on Earth W or whatever. You know, and, and it it wasn't that hard to figure out. Me at the time, I didn't read the DC universe because when I had come into r- reading comics, it was right at the time where the uh, official handbook of the Marvel Universe started coming out. And it gave you all this continuity in text form. You didn't have to read, you know, 200 issues of Spider Man, but you could just read three pages and get all the important stuff of his history you know all the all the important stuff right there and where he crosses over with all the other 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 people all the his powers his you know all his tools and you got this for everybody in the entire universe so i would just read them and read them and i would just get this interesting idea of the continuity of the marvel universe and how it all fit in and with dc they tried to do a thing called who's who which was similar but the thing is, there were so many different universes that I, as not a DC reader, I didn't get as much out of it. You know, Marvel Comics, most of the stuff happens in the same universe. and Right.
0: Well, the, and th- that's part of the problem was they had so many different chronologies that they right. had to say, okay, well, this stuff that was happening is actually from Earth 2. Right. And so those are Earth 2 characters, and then they start developing Earth 2 characters and so now you've got Batman on two earths doing very different things at different ages even.
1: Right.
0: Um and we're talking 50 years of that of storytelling where most the majority of the time they weren't necessarily saying, "Oh, we're going to want to keep, you know, tabs on all this because when we do this crazy thing with Superman over here, like him blowing out a sun with his breath."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um <laughs> that might actually cause some problems later on when Superman goes and gets you know thrown into a sun, which he could blow out with his breath, but he doesn't and what happens when the people write in and say, Well, wait a minute, don't you remember he blew out a sun with his breath earlier, and um, it's an imaginary story well, and that's that's <laughs> another solution that they had was just to say it was a quote unquote imaginary story, mm-hmm. which I find kind of funny because well, they all are but <laughs> um, you know that's You know, semantics or whatever. Right. But, you know, looking at what they had and what they had to deal with and just the fact that every year that passed, more material was getting piled on. And to to start over just in in hindsight, looking back at it, it makes sense. Now, for me, though, at the time, I didn't know any of this was going on. I was a Marvel kid at that time, um, but I really loved Superman. And so... Oh man, I want to say it was my seventh grade or eighth grade English class. They had a pile of comic books in there and some of them, they were from a barber shop, and they, um, (laughs) the barber just gave them to our teacher. The teacher just put them in the room. I was like the only guy who read them. Um, or one of the only guys, there's a round table of, of me and my friend, Mike and a couple other friends that we sat at this round table up at the front corner and we would read the comics and, There was some Star Trek ones in there, three of them in a row. Whoa. I know. I know. And then the ones after that, I owned. And so – and at the end of the year, she let me keep them, the Star Trek ones. Wow. Um, But there was Man of Steel in there. uh, And I had no idea the importance of what Man of Steel was at the time. Um, The other thing is when I started being able to spend my own money on comics, if I was buying a superhero comic, it was going to be Marvel – or it was going to be superman
1: mm-hmm. or it
0: was going to be star wars or or star trek and yeah. um i was i started buying world of krypton now because they were rebooting superman they had to retell his origin story and so i was so excited because i was getting this world of krypton series which was telling uh the story of superman's family on krypton leading up to the point where it blows up World of Smallville was all about his, his childhood. And then World of Metropolis, mm-hmm. which was setting up um, you know, Lois Lane and, right. and Jimmy Olsen and all that. And so for me, these books were gold. I didn't realize why they were doing it. I just liked that they were. <laughs> so um, I, I was just very, very pleased. Now, um, like I said, though, I'm looking back in hindsight and saying this is good. Because personally, for me, continuity is a good thing but it's also a trap and you can't tell some of the stories that would really be cool to tell with the characters because of continuity. So I love else worlds and I love, you know, like you said, imaginary (laughs) stories where you're taking the essence of a character that is known and loved and understood and just telling new stories that use the essence of the character, not necessarily the arcane, um, continuity of the character
1: but but just think of that else worlds is basically crisis on infinite earths reversed because now you have all these other you know else worlds where these things are happening where before you had all these other else worlds you know earth b and earth c and earth shazam and earth but they're not
0: part of the continuity (laughs) you know they're just their own thing one and done
1: Right, and the other ones, some of them were not part of the continuity. Some, some of them, you know, just were their own universe. Some of them you could cross over to, and then some of the else worlds, or at least one of them, has now been adopted into the DC Actual universe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh,
0: although you know, the time when they did that has now been retconned as well with the new Fifty Two, right? But they've kept that element of yeah. the, the son of Batman or whatever,
1: right?
0: So another great comic though came out of this. Man of Steel was actually a great comic. It was John Byrne mm-hmm. um, coming? Was this his first work for DC or just his biggest, most impressive and showy one?
1: I think he was he was uh, independent. He did uh, Marvel stuff and he was part of the Marvel bullpen. Um, and he did you know almost everything at Marvel, and uh, it came to a point where. Uh, I forget exactly what happened but there was something real uh drastic and I I should have researched this for uh for this purpose but I didn't it happened after 1986 so but it something really drastic happened and um he just quit everything he qu- I mean if Fantastic 4 like sort of ends in the middle of a John Byrne story and you're just like what <laughs> and it had the uh the 30th anniversary issue was like a couple issues after uh John Byrne just quit his run and the 300th issue was was you know a couple issues after that and and you know you were just looking forward to John Byrne just knocking it out of the ballpark cuz he when he did the 25th anniversary which was like 236 or something he had like this 50 60 70 uh, issue run um it was a really fantastic story they put it together a f- fantastic package um for the fantastic four no no pun um so you saw him working towards the thirtieth anniversary and also the three hundredth issue, and it just went off the tracks it, it was a good enough story, but it was not a john burns story it wasn 't part of his continuity that he was building and all this stuff and three hundred was just sort of like a throwaway issue it really wasn 't fantastic um but you know he just jumped ship and went and said you know i 'm going to do d c and did DC for a while, and of course, then you know he did his own thing, and now he's back and doing et cetera. Et cetera. Uh, a lot right. of things happened in the '90s that we're not even going to touch on, but um, yeah, it was just a um, a quick, a quick switch. Let me see if I can find it real quick.
0: Well, I see here John <laughs> Byrne left Marvel in May 1985, and this is they they. they swooped in and got him it looks like marv wolfman just said hey redo superman and and this is you know man of steel being that brand new superman they you know were able to define redefine his power set and keep it down to you know we're going to make this the beginning of the superman story right he had actually done some
1: he he had actually done some batman stuff before he did superman okay the untold legend of Batman.
0: So another phenomenal book that came out of this, um, specifically because of the, the whole crisis thing was Alan Moore got to write the final Superman story called Superman, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, Mm -hmm. which actually was a wrapping up, you know, just that those 50 years, like I said, of Superman stories. And this is a phenomenal story. Yeah. It's a wonderful, wonderful Superman story. Yeah. Um, I really, really, really enjoy that story, and it kind of wraps some things up and and uh, gives you endings and ties it all up with a nice, neat bow. It's a little there's some a little bit of dark feeling to it, although it, because it was it was drawn by um, oh, what's his name? Uh, oh man, I know Kurt
1: you're Swan. talking about. Kurt Swan. It's drawn it Kurt by Swan? Kurt
0: Swan, who is you know one of the premier Superman artist and in the uh, you know 60s and 70s. And so, drawn by Kurt Swan, and so it has a real nostalgic look to it, um, but then written by Alan Moore, who mm-hmm. is one of these up-and-coming guys who is rising up and ch- changing the face of comics. Yeah, um, And you
1: didn't know it was happening. He was doing it in Swamp Thing, of all
0: things. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and but then he takes in and does this pretty, just uh, a nice love letter yeah. to um to what had happened before, and so yeah, if, if Crisis you know wiped out what you loved about Superman, you at least got this wonderful love letter story. Yeah, that's fantastic. That, that, those Superman, basically the the craziness of the Silver Age Superman is kind of <laughs> uh, wrapped up here. So. Yeah. So that's Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is important. That's whatever happened to the Man of, the, of Tomorrow, which is important. But these are all kind of endings and you know changing of the guard kind of things. But then we have uh, in 1986 there are three big giants. Oh wait, we have to t- get to the small giant <laughs> before we get to the big giants because I, I don't want to. I don't want to come back to this at the very end. It's going to be very anticlimactic. Which we missed a, a Marvel event? thing. Which one: New universe:
1: I thought we were going to okay, well okay
0: <laughs> what What? what? new we universe gonna, is not a giant. No, it's not,
1: but I thought we were going to sort of get to that after we, we got to the big ones and sort of sort of say, you know how well, let's just get into it now. <laughs> see how, how Marvel branded itself with its continuity. And it's you know everything happens in the same universe and all that stuff and the the you know the Crisis on Infinite Earths as sort of a reaction to that maybe, um, you know Marvel doing all this stuff right, and then it, <laughs> it kicks off a new universe.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's 86. 1986 was also the twenty fifth anniversary yeah. of Marvel, and so they. <laughs> They build a new universe because you know what? Why not? <laughs> Why not? Because
1: I worked for DC until they just canceled it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you you turn around and you say, okay, we've got the Marvel universe. Nothing's going to stop there. We're not going to do, we're not going to do a crisis or anything like that. But we need to do something special because you know, 1961, um, we started out with some crazy, cool new things so let's let's start another crazy cool new thing that's yeah. that's unrelated to the universe we already have. Why not do a new universe a universe and w- w- the phrase that they use was the world outside your window you yeah. know where it's superheroes in the real world, just like Fantastic Four you know it was regular Joe's yeah you know it was anybody could be it was yeah it was it was Peter Parker getting bit by a, a radioactive spider. You could have been Peter Parker right. because he was just a kid, man, yeah. you know? So let's do that. And, and so they started this new universe and it had, uh, I don't know how many different titles. I think it was eight. Was it? Uh, let's look it up here. Okay. We got DP seven.
1: Yeah. Which was uh, X-Men basically.
0: Or, or, um, heroes in a lot of ways because they didn't have like, uh, secret well, identities to, or anything like that it was yeah, just but, normal people
1: but to put it into terms for people who at that time like when when i was looking at it i was saying dp7 is an x-men sort okay. of an x-men
0: then you had justice justice
1: was um you know it was it was this Rom space night sort of like that yeah <laughs> you know someone who trying to get home or something like that or you know. maybe
0: even superman hey mm,
1: i don't think he had like that much superpowers well
0: no the idea that you know he's he's on earth he's the only one and now he's he's going to use his power for good on earth Mm. kickers inc yeah
1: that was uh which i always
0: thought it was karate
1: it was no it was horrible it was it was football (laughs) it was like football players who get superpowers and you're like what
0: kickers inc how can that not be karate kickers in 1986 in kickers,
1: they kicked the football
0: yeah i'm just saying it's bad
1: just a bad concept everyone. i'm gonna
0: trust uh, uh okay when we when we're done talking about this i'm gonna explain something about about me and about why i'm not okay uh mark okay, hazard merc merc which is basically punisher uh night mask batman
1: night mask nope night mask was was interesting because it it was like a dream he could enter people's dreams oh, and stuff like that that is so, interesting. this was before uh Neil Gaiman's Sandman so,
0: and uh before Marvel Comics Dreamwalker which my. was touted as what Sandman should have been. And which one do we remember? Not Dreamwalker.
1: Not Dreamwalker.
0: Cyforce.
1: <laughs> Cyforce was basically like X-Men but just all you know psionic powered, mental powered
0: guys. Spitfire and the troubleshooters
1: <laughs> it's like Iron Man and his friends <laughs>
0: Starbrand
1: now that was sort of like a, a uh, um almost like a, a Superman type thing, except you know the powers are, are forced upon him. This was like the 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 signature character you know the the symbol for the new universe was the star, was brand. The, star and the star brand. brand yeah. Was a symbol for this new universe being created or, you know, coming into its own existence.
0: Now, my understanding is, though, some of this was the the the, the idea was all of a sudden, pow, there's this big event that happens mm-hmm. and it turns people into superheroes, which right. we've seen quite a bit since then as far as when new universes are started by new companies and also um, rising stars had that kind mm-hmm. of conceit um yeah Like heroes where you're talking about um I, you know the eclipse or whatever which we thought was a big deal yeah um, was
1: nonsense but <laughs> then you had characters like you know merc who was just uh you know shot guns yeah. and you had uh spitfire who is you know iron man does not have any superpowers maybe he has super intelligence or something but right. you know spitfire just built a suit of armor and You know, that's that's what she did. So you had some characters tied into this event and then some characters tied into the event only because they started doing their thing right at that time.
0: Yeah. And and you had um, then you also have the Ultraverse, which I've already talked about from Malibu. The Ultraverse is in the 90s was image comics, but for writers. And it really appealed to me. I followed the Nightman character and then later on, uh, just obsessive compulsively bought every single issue <laughs> in the Marvel ultraverse, uh, cross Marvel bought the ultraverse. And so they also had, um, crossovers and that kind of thing. So I look at the new universe and I see things like DP seven only had 33 issues.
1: 32, I believe
0: justice only had 32, um, a uh, DP7, yeah, 32, and an annual. An annual, yeah. Okay. Kicker's Inc., 12 issues. Yeah. Nightmask, 12, I- Cyforce, 32. And I look at that and think, that's doable. You could collect this entire thing. <sighs> There's a reason why I've never read the new universe, <laughs> and that is because if I started now. Now, as a kid, I couldn't do it. So as a kid, I might have picked up an issue. I might have even read one or two of these. Uh, Maybe even in you know from the barber shop in my English class, Mm -hmm. but um, now if I said to myself, "Well, I could you know pick up a run of DP seven, you know search it down on eBay," I would not be able to stop until I had every single one. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want Kickers Incorporated (laughs) to be brought into my house, so because it's football. How is it not karate?
1: Because they. Kick the football. It's not good. It's not. I I can't. I can't defend it. All I'm saying is they called it kickers because they kick footballs.
0: Yeah, it wasn't until I think a actually a couple months ago when someone mentioned it on a podcast, and I was like, wait, football? Until this day, until that day, I should say, I thought it was karate. I'm going to stop now because I think (laughs) we've given this more time than it deserves. But again, this is. A publisher trying to change the game yeah and and trying to you know um just build and, and make a, a you know a new universe in this case so yeah now we got to talk about the giants the giants uh do you want to where do you want to start with the giants there's three giants well
1: let's start with the one that i already mentioned so we can get that out of the All way right.
0: watchmen <laughs> Watchmen started in 1986 and the only reason I was aware of Watchmen was from the uh, catalogs I would get uh, and and also from the DC Comics that I had that had like house ads. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I had no idea what Watchmen was until again uh, into the 90s when I – in college when I was reading Sandman and Concrete and Watchmen was one of those things that I was reading. Um, So – you have a different Watchmen story.
1: I have a different Watchmen story. I went through this month by month. So when I picked it up, it was not DC Comics. I mean, it was it was not and it, there's no Superman, there's no Batman, there's no nothing. It's a completely different reality <clears throat> based on the idea that around the same time that that Superman and Batman came out, real people started to put on costumes and go and do things. And they didn't have superheroes, uh, superpowers, so they were regular people. Here, Here you go again with like the regular Joes. But they didn't have superpowers. But you're thrust into the middle of this murder mystery. First couple of pages... Someone gets killed. You don't really know who it is. And then there's a lot of flashbacks. Yeah, the
0: identity of the, the victim is even a mystery for you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And there's a lot of flashbacks. And then at the end, <laughs> yes. at the end of every issue, you get like a chapter of a, a biography or, um, you know, uh, uh, f- photographs, which would be drawn, hand drawn by David Gibbons, the, the artist, um, of like a, a a proposed toy line or something and someone's notes on the individual people, you know, on the individual, individual pieces of the toy line or something like that.
0: Or a big magazine spread in like a Time magazine type of thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. And you, you had this – it was multimedia. Plus you had a comic book being inserted into this comic book. So the comic book that you're reading – looks like real life people dressed up in, in funny costumes and stuff. And except for one, which we'll get to. And then you have this, uh, this alternate reality where instead of superheroes being popular as comic books, pirates are, are are popular. So you have this pirate comic book, which sort of parallels things that are going on in the actual comic book as part of the, the narrative. And, you're sort of you know, like I said, it's a multimedia type of a thing, and you have this you know the flashbacks, plus you have the murder mystery, plus you have this other character who, you know, 20 or so years after the heroes start to do their own thing, actually gets superpowers. But he's the only superpowered individual in the entire universe, in this this universe. He's the only one. So he has these fantastic powers. I mean, you know, mind-blowing powers. But he has these limitations as well, and it's a really fantastic uh, look inside an actual, like, if an actual person did get superpowers. Now, Watchmen, as a concept, was a deconstruction of super superheroes. At the time, you had these, you know, over-the-top Superman, Batman, and Spider-Man, and all these these heroes. And this is really the first time that someone said, you know what, I'm going to undress them. I'm going to strip them down bare, and you're going to see what, what I see in what these, these characters really are. These people really are. And these, for the most part, they're reprehensible, you know. <laughs> they're... Um, they're not sane <laughs> at some level um yeah you know, some of them uh they're they're troubled they have real you know uh problems they have problems that they manufacture themselves because of what they are and you have sort of the beginning this and and uh, another one that we'll mention in just a second where it really starts to to strip away the veneer of heroes and you know, like I said, it deconstructs them. Uh, I think at the same time, Daredevil, Mike Miller's Daredevil was coming out with uh, the Born Again uh, uh, series. Where well,
0: that was uh, eighty-seven.
1: It was eighty-seven, so it yeah. it was it was close. But that's another, you know, one. It was in in the this bunch where I think Daredevil was might have been the first, um, uh, superhero in a in the continuity that existed. Uh, being deconstructed and then you know rebuilt as as you know what he became or reborn reborn that 's right <laughs> but um but here you had uh you know uh, Alan Moore, and it, basically he took the charlton characters the d c had um, acquired the charlton action hero characters uh the question um, Captain Adam and things like that and and made amalgams of them and put them into his, his universe. So instead of Captain Adam, he had Dr. Manhattan. Instead of the question, he had the Rorschach uh, character. And he couldn't use them because DC had the rights to them and they liked his idea, but they didn't want him to use those characters because they had plans for him.
0: Well, they, my, my understanding was he was originally going to use them and they realized if he does, he's ruined them. <laughs> like, so- we can't ever come back to these characters. Yeah. Uh, and I'm actually glad that Watchmen was original characters because I wouldn't want to see this story play out with Superman and Batman or even with cheesy, um, uh, you know, Charlton characters or whatever. <laughs> um, the fact that they're original means he's able to take and use these characters as icons. Yeah. And and instead of taking and using the actual icons. Right. And so he can say, okay, well I'm I'm using this trope or I'm using this icon or I'm using this um you know, you you understand who Rorschach is. He's a Batman type of character. Right. But I'm able to take him to this far off crazy land mm-hmm. and not have to worry about, you know, what does that mean for later later creators. Right. But, um, it is a phenomenal work of art. It is. And when you sit down to read it as I did in one collected volume, it is, um, an experience. Unfortunately, it's also mm-hmm. super nihilistic. Yeah. And I actually, I used to read it, um, you know, every couple of years or so. Mm-hmm. And I just can't. I, I haven't been able to bring myself to read it again in like three years or something like that. I'll sit down and actually maybe even start reading it. And, yeah. No. I read it before the movie came out and then decided I can't go to see that movie because I don't want to sit through this again. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, the movie was
0: – The movie is within – I mean I can touch it with my left hand, but I still haven't watched it.
1: It's it's not good. And and they they change – some elements, and especially one major element, which if you haven't watched the movie and really want to, I won't ruin it. Um, but there is one major element that I thought w- had its place in the comic book. Um, but for whatever reason, they chose not to not to do it. If, if you really want to, for me to tell you, then let me know and I'll email you or something. But <laughs> um, it, it was really disappointing um, when you saw it. And another thing is it's 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 sexualized there's there's a lot of stuff going on with the characters and you know good and bad that you know it, it's not a kid's book it's well, remember
0: the book it's is not no
1: no no it, it's a deconstruction of superheroes so you're seeing this you know the soft white underbelly of of the superhero world and it's not pretty and you know so in the comic book There are scenes where, you know, you don't have to linger on it. You just flip the page. Okay, well, I I know what's happening between the two characters, obviously. Um, But in the movie, it's up on the big screen for, you know, (laughs) I don't even know how long. I I, I took a friend of mine, uh, a a friend of the family, a a young lady, and (laughs) it wasn't a date or anything. But, um, you know, I had to apologize afterwards her, to her and a brother who I I had taken, and you know to to try to let them understand the why this was in the movie and et cetera et cetera and and you know why I don't I mean it was this big it it ended up being like this big thing where I had to talk to them in the car and almost give them the talk because I didn't know you know how much how much they understood and how where they were spiritually and all this stuff so um you know it was it was a mistake I I thought it was going to be you know sort of like the PG version and I, I believe it was an OR.
0: <laughs> I'm see pretty sure that. it was. Yeah. So let's see, that was 2009. Now Terry Gilliam was going to direct the Watchmen for a little while there. I, I would have liked to have seen that. Was he? Yeah, he was attached, but um, they couldn't have done his vision. I mean, none of his movies come in on budget. <laughs> I mean, his, his vision is always far beyond what, the effects budget can actually do. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, as far as Watchmen, okay. So night uh, 2009, I haven't read it. I, I read it in 2009 then. Yeah. And I used to look at it, you know, when I was, oh, so we're talking, we're talking, there's about 10 years there where I read it every couple of years. And I looked at it as like, this is the be-all and end all of comic book scripting. Right. And honestly, that's what a lot of people look to 1986 and say is you got watchmen all right that's Mm -hmm. that's it that's the thing that's the one um there's one other thing though and it's also dc and that's batman the dark knight returns right and that also started in 1986 Mm -hmm. and so again though that's another deconstruction uh this time of a character that's uh you know the actual, you know, the publisher owns D, uh, Batman
1: mm-hmm. and they're
0: letting Frank Miller, um, you know, do, do a deconstruction of the to. Batman character and Superman a little bit.
1: Oh, yeah. And uh, the Wonder Woman. I don't know. I haven't read that in a long time
0: either. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but it was outside the continuity. So they could get away with it. It's Superman. It's, I mean, Batman at the end of his career.
0: Right. Which they're yeah. never going to tell that story. Well, I guess they did Superman, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, That same that's interesting. I never thought of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Two end stories in 1986 and one is just a love letter yeah. to the craziness of the Silver Age and the other one is just a really grim and gritty right. saying, OK, if this guy was real, um, what would the end of his career look like and what would the world he lived in look like? Right. So Batman The Dark Knight Returns is another phenomenal work. Um, again, people look at 1986 and say, "Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns." These are the two things that have never been—you um, know—these heights have never been uh, scaled since. It was the high point. It is the not only the epoch; it, it is the it is the single high point of comic book publishing.
1: Well, until arm request, but then you know that's out of <laughs> yeah yeah request
0: belongs in that same stratosphere, <laughs> yeah, right,
1: I think so anyway, um, but yeah, so you have these two deconstructions of the characters, which kicked off the whole you know the whole deconstruction uh, craze where you had um you know characters just just ripped down to their basics and then built back up the way that that creator wanted to to rebuild it um you know i guess you could see crisis on infinite earth as an extreme version of that
0: yeah yeah because it it strips it down and builds it up but then yeah ever since in in this is my my opinion um there are there are things that go against what i'm about to say right now but it feels like ever since dark knight returns and watchmen superhero comics have been looking back at those two books and saying well how can we do that again how can we do that again instead of what can we do next how can we do that again how do we make our character like Dark Knight Returns Mm -hmm. how do we make our characters you know human like Watchmen Um, Fantastic Four uh, X-Men Spider-Man you know back in the 60s uh, it changed superheroes by making them human and relatable Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have this moment in 1986 where it's all just stripped down. And even okay. if you look at new universe, the new universe was a stripped down universe. It was, mm-hmm. it was, what if superpowers existed in our world? Yeah. You know, and, and, and trying to ask yeah. that question.
1: What if they didn't exist yesterday and they existed today?
0: Yeah. All of a sudden. Yeah. And okay. So one other giant of comics in 1986 is the other book I was talking about that my wife can All right. actually read. Okay. All right. And that is Mouse. Mouse. Now, Mouse is spelled M-A-U-S. It is uh, Art Spiegelman. Is He's an underground comic book artist. And he actually started writing it long before 1986. I think it was mm-hmm. even in the 70s, he was doing it in some of his underground or independent comics with an X. Comics. Magazines. And it tells his father's story being uh in at Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. Now in the comic it's Mousewitch, I think. Mousewitch. Yeah. And it's it's uh, mice are Jews and yeah. cats are Nazis. Are Nazis. Um you have bulldogs as Englishmen, you have frogs as Frenchmen. I mean you have basically yeah. every uh nationality is is um represented a different... as a different animal. Yeah. And you have In – you have Art Spiegelman drawing himself as a mouse, talking to his father in the present day. As a mouse. As a mouse. And then you have the story of what happened to his father uh, going through World War II in a concentration camp. And it is exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, It is touching and brutal, not – it's not brutal in like an R rated uh, violence kind of sense, but brutal in a emotional you know, you, you read it and it just it, it crushes you to see this is what happened to people.
1: Yeah, and because it's animals, you have one step away. There's some removal, you, yeah. Yeah. You can show things happening between the animals and it's it's almost comical because it's animals. But you <clears throat> replace it in your head with what really happened and you know that it's human beings that really did this stuff and it's a true story and you can you can get away with what he did without having to see you know the reality of it and you you get it you know it's 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 almost like radio where it can be described and it's more real inside your head because you see what it's in what's inside your head. You know the uh, you know the Arch Obler's the thing on the fourvil board. If you made a, a a film version of it, it wouldn't work because whatever was on the screen, it would be less scary to some people than what they can create in their mind. And that was the beauty of of radio. And here you have that sort of concept, that that paradigm where you're you're taking something, translating it into something else. And the reality of it is inside your mind, and it's it's just a fantastic way to do
0: it. And I, I think Art Spiegelin even uh, talks about this kind of in with within the book, where that that level of separation for him, right? Like to draw it like this became a level of separation for him to be able to accept some of these things that his father was saying and. You know, he and his father don't have a good relationship, and that's brought out in the in this story as well. Right. Um, it's just a very, very interesting book. Now there, there's two volumes. Volume one was published in '86. Volume two was published in '92. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it has won so much acclaim, but it, when the second volume came out in '92, I believe it was uh, that's when he won the the Pulitzer, Pulitzer. Prize. Yeah. For this,
1: which was incredible, because basically it's a graphic novel. Right, <laughs> novels <graphic laughs> don't win the Pulitzer
0: Prize, and well, I think they might have even change the rules so that it couldn't happen again. <laughs> but, I think so. yeah, But they, yeah, I mean, this is a a comic book. It's, it's you know, it, it really, if you think about it, it's Schindler's List uh, with Mickey Mouse. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's really exactly what it is. But mm-hmm. it is powerful. It is touching, and it is um, it's human, um, and again. I look at this list of things that we're seeing here from 1986 and I'm not the only one, but I I look at it. These are things that when I read them, I wasn't reading them at the time, but when I did read them, they really shaped my view of what you can do with comics and how comics can, you know, tell a story. Mm -hmm. So, so in conclusion, 1986, it was a big year. (laughs) (laughs) I do recommend Concrete. I do recommend mm. Watchmen. I recommend Mouse. I recommend Dark Knight Returns. All his books to read
1: with, can, with cautionary tale. There, just be be careful with Watchmen,
0: especially. Um, yeah, be be careful, um, but know what you're getting into. These are these are adult works for yeah. adults, not necessarily Language,
1: violence. You know, and especially you know, I would say especially Mouse because obviously it's about World War Two. And you're going to get some brutality stuff, and uh, I think there's one scene where there's some graphic stuff, you know, here or there, whatever. But just be careful, you know. As Christians and as people of faith, we want to make sure that, uh, you know, if this is something that is is uh, a problem for you, stay away from it. <laughs> but as a as a uh, as icons, as as a you know, part of this epoch, this. Uh, paradigm shift to understand it you know take a look at them if it's too much for you then just step away
0: well there's some of the strongest uh, there's strong examples of just good sequential storytelling Mm -hmm. um Secret Wars 2 don't recommend you can buy a giant hundred dollar volume hardcover (laughs) I did not buy it I wanted to (laughs) I wanted to buy it but I own them all all the issues tracked down from eBay. Nobody wants them. So finding them on eBay was very easy. Yeah. Um, Crisis of Infinite Earths, I've actually not read. Um, and so I can't say I would recommend that because I, I haven't read it. But
1: I would recommend it if you want to see how they push the reset button. Um, there's a lot of tie-ins, a lot of crossovers. You don't really need them. Um, if you really want a full understanding and how they shut down the universe you know there's a like the four issues of justice league where they just shut it down and you have these you know characters just playing out the last uh the last days of the justice league as you know things are happening in crisis and the real heroes are you know away doing actual you know end of the world type stuff um you could you know you you could read them um,
0: but Crisis on Infinite Earths, the 12-issue miniseries, was collected into a single volume that, that you can get as a graphic novel. And so that's – I don't know if – they might have done a book of all the extras. They could have? I don't know.
1: I'm not sure. And also uh, just to just to put a tag on the end of that, um, the follow-up to Crisis on Infinite Earths was a six-issue limited series called Legends. And uh, that was a crossover too. Uh it's six issues um it introduces some really interesting new concepts that they played off and they they ran with um you know in in the next couple of months and stuff like that it it reintroduces basically the justice league and all those characters um and there's a whole bunch of like 25 tie-ins to that as well that you don't really need (laughs) yeah but um that's that's a really fun one legends It, it just kicks off the universe it's the other end of the reset button
0: all right So all that said, I'm not sure what we're talking about next week.
1: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting, um, maybe Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, could be Captain America. I think Dr.
0: Jace really wants to talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And it's quite possible that as people are listening to this, we may have already inserted a Captain America reaction episode. I don't know. Because this is, we're recording this and we've got two three other episodes in the can. Oh,
1: that's right. Yeah.
0: So I'm not sure exactly what's happening next week or what people will be listening to in next episode, even if something different happens next week. So you never know. All that said though, it was fun finally talking about this with you, Steve. Yeah. And if we got anything wrong, um, please remember I'm going based on, um, what I've found in my research, but also what I found on my own after the fact. And Steve Mm -hmm. is going on memory. (laughs)
1: So, <laughs> which is faulty. At best.
0: So, please correct us, and we will uh, go ahead and and we will uh, address that in a future episode. So, thank you very much for listening, Steve. You have any final words?
1: Um, no. Okay, <laughs> I was going to try to quote the Latin version of "Who watches the Watchmen," but I've forgotten it. So,
0: <laughs> well, if you go to slot dot com slash Amazon you'll find links to Amazon where you can buy these books. And if you buy these books, it will actually help fund. Well, if you click on those links and buy anything on Amazon, it will actually help um, to just kind of pay for some of the things, some of the bills we have to pay for here at Strangers and Aliens. So we would appreciate that. So that's Strangersandaliens.com slash comics. And until next time, everyone, thank you for listening and Godspeed. You've been listening to the Strangers and Aliens Podcast, hosted by Ben Avery, Steve Macdonald, and Dr. Jace O'Neill. Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Leffel. Please join in the conversation by visiting our website, strangersandaliens.com, where you will find show notes, articles, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangers or like us on Facebook at Facebook.com/slash strangers. Or you can leave us a voicemail on the Strangers and Aliens hotline. Just call 1-804-37-ALIEN and leave your message. And once again, thanks for listening.